0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: We are coming almost to the close of the book of Philippians. And we titled this particular book, Unlocking the Mystery, to Joy. And even the Apostle Paul speaks that a whole concept of joy. But I really want to pose a question to you because I think you're adult enough. And my question is this, can a person really have continual joy in their life? Now, to do that, we almost have to make sure you understand there is a big difference between being happy and being joyful, happy. Or happiness comes from happy happenings, but joy is something that's inside, and we're going to learn more about that today. But the question again is as you are having life flung at you so fast from so many angles, can you really have continual joy? I think some people, they are in life now and they endure life, but they really don't enjoy the life that God has for them. There are those that are surviving in this life, you know, the survivor but they're really not thriving in this life. And so Paul wants to speak to that issue. As I went through this passage, this week and next week, it really is going to answer that question called the game plan for relieving stress. Now, some of you will already know this, and I won't mention your name and describe you much, but it's interesting how that as the Lord was preparing my heart as I was going through this word, how that people unsolicitedly, just in general conversation with me, we're talking to me about stress levels in their life. And so those of you that have done that, I want you to know that I didn't put a message together just for you. I'm just preaching verse by verse, and God's word so much opened up to me that I'd like to share that with you. But now, lest you think that we who are pastors, that we live in such a world that we don't have any stress, you are absolutely wrong. We do suffer from the same amount of issues of life, whether they're finances or fitness or foes or friends or family issues, all of that can still test us in the area of relieving stress. So as I went through this message, it was almost like God timely gave this information to me as well. And so today, life is filled up with a lot of folks that have worry, they have stress, they have consternation. They have anxiety attacks that are going on. In fact, listen to the statistics that I came up just recently as I did research for this message. One-third of Americans feel they are living with extreme stress. Not just general stress, but extreme, mind-boggling pressure stress. About half of America, 48%, feel that their stress has increased over the past five years. And maybe you could do a little inventory on your life. Are you feeling like you're getting a little bit more stressful now than you did a few years ago? It also said that money and work are the leading causes of stress, and that was mentioned by three-quarters of the citizens of the U.S. that have taken this particular survey. Now, of course, you and I who know Christ is Savior, we know that there's a lot deeper root reason than just money and work, but that is part of it. So there's a lot of stress that goes on. Here's more. Workplace stress costs more than $300 billion each year in health care, missed work, and stress reduction. So stress not only affects us in certain areas of our external life, but it also will affect us in our health. Workers who report that they are stressed incurred healthcare costs that are 46% higher and on an average of $600 more per person than other employees that don't have as much stress. And then finally, more than 30% of workers say they are always or often under stress at work. A quarter of those surveys said that there were not enough co-workers to get the job done. So just think about the economy of the world in which you live. Have they downsized their employee base? They kept you, but now you're doing double duty because someone else is not able to get it done because they're not there any longer. Have you been had more piling on you? Has perhaps government or industry or maybe even the company or corporation required more out of you than they did before by having more reports? All of that in itself can add stress to our life, and yet Paul himself could speak to that same issue with us. Now... The other dangerous part about stress, other than it'll affect our health and obviously affect our relationship with the Lord, is when we're under stress, no man is an island living in a world of stress without it affecting those that are closest to him. Think about the ones that are in your family right now that are carrying an incredible amount of load of stress and how that attitude of stress that they have is impacting you. How many of you have recently had a conversation with your mate or your family or someone special in your life, and that was due to a relational issue and tension, and at the root of this somewhere is going to be a certain amount of stress that's going on? A little bit more statistics. About half of America say that stress has a negative impact on both their personal and professional life. So if you're stressed in one area, it will bleed over into other areas as well. About 31% of employed adults have difficulty managing work and family responsibilities. So now you have work over here, and you have a tremendous amount of responsibilities there. And, of course, you know the challenges that your family has in our worldview position out here. And so we're trying to juggle family, and we're trying to do both of them. And let me add one other dynamic that would not show up on this. I don't have statistics for this, but I all live in a real world with you, is you now put church or church activities into that same pressure cooker of all the responsibilities at work, your passion to be the best parent that you could be in your family, and now you have church involved, and so now you can sense the vices closing on you, so we can have trouble with stress. It says stress causes more than half of Americans to fight with people close to them. And so maybe some of the reason you have challenges with others could be because way inside of you, you're dealing with some stress. Something's happening that that stress is building up. And then finally, one in four people report that they have been alienated from a friend or family member because of stress. So maybe some of you have drifted out of relationships or you've drifted from that intimate relationship because of stress. Now, let me just throw a little bit more at you and then I'm going to try to unlock this pressure cooker. We are facing, in my opinion, probably the most pressured time of the year. It's already building in our relationship with Carol. We've got the activities at church. We're trying to stay connected to family back home, but we're not. We're hearing the stress that you're under, and we carry that with us because we... We hate to have any of our people in pain for whatever reason it'll be. Now, I don't want to make this about us. You're carrying the same amount of stress, and you add to that things that you see on the horizon when you have a budget that's going to take over that's going to be different. Things on the job are going to be changing. So as bleak as it might sound, that is still reality ranch in which we all live. Yet God doesn't step away and say, Okay, guys, I'm up here somewhere. Kind of come to me when you want to. God gives us what is known as a game plan for relieving stress. Now, I don't like to reduce God's teaching on stress reduction to a simple one, two, three, four, five. But yet at the same time, I want to give you enough that you can practically chew on that's biblically based so that you don't get a a, a pop psychology. That you get something that is not psychobabble, but you get something that is biblical and accurate and doable to help you reduce stress. Now, I have a couple approaches with this. One, I could take you through a longer series on stress reduction and go through a lot of verses and carry you carry through all of the Bible. Yet on the other hand, God is so good and he is so much more infinitely wiser than we are, he can still give us one small package like a multivitamin in one book of the Bible like Philippians and there's enough meat there to help us to deal with the stress that we're going to encounter. The only difference is, is that while he gives that material, the spirit is reminding us that it's there, we still have to come and eat. And I hope that all of us here, including me, because I deal with stress too, that we would all come to the truths of God's word and then we would eat. There is a game plan and we're going to see that. Just like coaches have a game plan for success, God loves you, and I do too, that God has a game plan for you folks to overcome stress. And so I would like to lean into that and let the coach of coaches, not me, but the Lord Jesus Christ, His game plan in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit help you deal with stress. And if some of you feel like you're, uh, you don't have stress right now, then here's what I would say to you in a very wonderful, kind way. That is, take this material, embrace it, because I guarantee there will be enough stress coming into your life so that you could apply this to your life. And secondly, so you could help someone else that's in your world to help overcome that stress as well. So let me give you number one in our passage here of the game plan for relieving stress. It's a two-part series here. Number one is don't give up. Don't give up. Look at the verse. It says here, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, and you might want to underline that, Paul is now identifying with them, even though he's in prison here, and he says, I love you, and I long for you people, and then he says, you're my joy and my crown, and he says, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Would you underline the phrase, stand fast in the Lord? Now, the reason I'd like you to mark that down is for this. Here is what the world will say. The world may give you counseling that would say, you know what, don't cut and run. You're in your problems, you're in your stress, just buck up, man up, be a tough guy. You can endure this because sooner or later it's gonna leave you. Nowhere in scripture do I see where the Lord says that I need to stand strong in my problems or to stand strong in my stress. It doesn't say that I deny him. You don't wanna go in a state of denial, all right? But what he does say is you accept the fact that you've got stress, you've got challenges. But at the same time, what you do is you stand fast in the Lord. Now, that's kind of huge for new believers because they say, what do you mean stand fast in the Lord? Do you just kind of say, Lord, 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 like a mantra? What do you do? You stand fast. Well, one of the best ways to stand fast is to know that God has made promises that every challenge that you have comes with God's ability to get you through that, that he gives to you, and that there's a lesson to learn through this thing, and he's in control of everything that you can control, so you just stand fast in the Lord. And if you do that, God says that you will be able to make it through that because you're standing in him, and he will make a way to get through that. So let me encourage you, do not cut and run. There are people that when they have stress in marriage, they often will cut and run instead of standing fast in the Lord and repositioning this relationship around God again. There are those that are in business. They go from job to job to job to job to job because they have a little bit of stress on that job. Now, we could open that up. Was the stress caused by the person that now is in stress? Or is this person distressed because of the work and now they're going to try to cut and run? I don't want to say that you have to stay in every heavy, stressful situation. You need to have a timeout. However... The Bible does encourage us to stay strong in this. Think about the Apostle Paul. Now, I know he was chained in jail and all that, and some of us could look back and say, how can the Apostle Paul tell me to rejoice evermore in the Lord and again say rejoice? How can he do that? He must be something special. No, he's not. Think about his stress factor. He was in a prison he couldn't get out of. Now, he was in jail. No one was there to break him out. He wasn't trying to dig his way out of jail. He was in jail. You now might be in a prison situation. You're a job you don't like, a job you can't get out of. You're in a career you can't quit. You're in a relationship that you're locked into because of a commitment that you made, a financial arrangement. You're in your form of a prison. Now, you think you have worry? Paul had worry. Because in those days, the government did not bring food to him. The government did not give him medical attention when he needed it. The government did not necessarily take care of him even through communicating. So when he was in jail there, he was all alone. He didn't know if he was going to be fed. He didn't know if he got sick because he was beaten and he was getting chafed from all the, the chains that he had. He didn't know about relationships. And he, too, probably had a family. We know historically he was part of a group called Pharisees that would have a family. He had people he loved. He had church people, other relationships that he built long, deeply. He also had a job as a tent maker. All that was now gone. There was a great deal of unknown confusion, just like you might have right now. Yet there was something that was inside of him and he wasn't saying, stay strong in your problems. He said, no, you stay strong in the Lord because from the Lord, watch this now, you're going to get the joy that God wants you to have. So you stay strong in him. Here's our relieving stress. Number one insight. The Lord is in control of everything I can't control. So I will stand firm in him. If you cut and run, here's often what can occur. I won't say will occur, but it can occur, and I think you'll agree. If you have stress and you don't know how to properly deal with it, that stress that you have, you're going to take it to the next job. There'll be that momentary act of relief, but because you haven't dealt with those things that might have brought on some of that stress, you're taking that problem with you. Often when you get to a new situation, more stress now will be occurring because of you now breaking out of something, and now more stress can occur. And if you don't learn how to deal with that stress, then you won't be able to accomplish the next level. So a certain degree of stress is good for you, and it'll make you strong. So God says what you do is you be strong in Him because He is in control of everything we can not control. I stand firm in His Word. Number two, we want to cultivate harmony with others. Cultivate harmony with others. Paul is talking about how do we deal with stress. Maybe our stress is that we've got a relational issue. And here's what he says to a couple people here. He says, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyre to be of the same mind. And that basically means to agree. Okay, to be of the same mind, agree in the Lord. Now, there are certain things you'll disagree with, but find the things that you can agree with. And he says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names were in the book of life. Do you know that Paul had a main theme going throughout scripture, but particularly to two churches, one was at Rome and the other was at Corinth, that he spoke to them about the importance of having unity. He now throws in this church here. So there's a track record that Paul is sensing how important it is for Christians to work together. And if they're not working together, that there's going to be a certain degree of stress. Now, Carol and I, if you can imagine, I'm pretty intense and Carol's pretty laid back. There are times that Carol and I have some little challenges back and forth with one another, but it's so true. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. You know that, you know that, okay? And, uh, and I will tell you that I may, I may look rough and tough, hard to diaper, and I may give you that image of me about rough and tough, hard to diaper, but Carol will tell you that I'm an Oreo cookie. I am hard on the outside but I am very mushy on the inside. And there have been times when Carol and I sometimes are not on the same page, and it's gone probably a little bit more than we disagreed. We are now arguing, okay? And sometimes we don't get it all resolved right then because the energy, the negative energy is flying. And uh, so then we, we separate from that. I want you to know that there may be a momentary act of relief because we're not like this. We have that momentary act. But I have to tell you that because both of us are sensitive people, she in many ways more than I am, but because I'm still an Oreo mushy cookie on the inside, even though we're not arguing, verbally exchanging these things that are tearing us down and ruining the relationship, we are still hurting deeply. And we can't ignore those things because if we don't, they're like burrs in a saddle. And that's only going to go deeper. Splinters in our hand and our life and our heart. And so we have to come back. And it's at that time that we have to be committed to how can we get on the same page. It's not so much that I'm going to agree that we should paint the living room this color or she wants to paint it that color. And sometimes your arguments at home are about as ridiculous as that, and you know that if you're honest enough to admit it. Some are more severe because now you're talking about some real heavy issues. Deceit and lying and all that. And I'm grateful that's not in our relationship. But here's where I'm going with it. What we have to do then is to say, wait a second, let's come up for air. What do we agree on? And that's why it says, agree in the Lord. There is enough in our history with Carol and me that we have made a personal private commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we have done that, now when we come together in holy matrimony, we as a couple together want to manifest to our family and friends that we see the Lord is not only the Lord of our lives individually, but he's also the Lord of our marriage together. In order for him to be the Lord of our marriage, we can say that and go through all the premarital counseling and do all the stuff at the altar. But it's not until we have privately and personally made the Lord the Lord of our lives as believers independently that we'll ever be able to have him the Lord of our marriage. Saying it simply, if he is the Lord of our life truly independently, then he will be the Lord of our life together as a couple. So when we have a disagreement, what will bring us together is agree on that which is in the Lord. And you know what, folks? When you really think about it, there is so much we can agree on. Theologically that He is God, we can theologically believe the Bible is inspired and His mind on paper. Theologically we can believe that it's by faith alone and not by works and all of that. But we also have the core value that truth is truth and lies are lies. We can go over the Ten Commandments and we can buy into that. And all of a sudden, watch this now. Now we're saying... Is there a character flaw that we need to readjust? Not because we agree with our mate's issue about us, but because of what God says about us. So it's a lordship upward, not just with each other, because we've committed ourselves to the Lord. The second thing is this, is that there are some general principles of roles. I don't mean like dinner roles. I'm talking about the role of a husband, the role of a wife. And what is the role of a husband? He's supposed to sacrifice for the wife. I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but when we're talking about getting into harmony with one another, how you do that is not that you have to capitulate always and give in and still fight. It's go back to your in the Lord harmony with each other. So now here's what it begs, this question. Have you as an individual come to a point in your life, number one, that you've trusted Christ as your Savior by faith alone? And then number two, as a Christian, have you surrendered personally that you're going to let the Lord be the Lord of your life, And if you are, then you're saying, all right, if you are the Lord, you're going to tell me how to live my life as a person through your book right here. And whatever the cost, by your power, because I want to glorify you, I'm going to do that. Now, I will tell you that just because you have does not necessarily mean that the other person will. Or it could mean that you both have, but not at that moment are you both equally walking with that same commitment. But again, that's where you've got to come back, go back to the side of that uh, boxing ring, if I can use that horrible phrase. And get back and refocus again on the Lord. So cultivate harmony with other people. And that's what this passage is talking about. Now, if I could add one other thought. Go back to the passage there. Follow along again. It says, I implore you guys to be of the same mind. Then he says, I, I, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Would you underline the words, help these women? All right. That's implying two things. I'm going to tell you what I think it's implying in Scripture, but I'm going to give you a secondary application. When it says here, I want you to help those women who are at odds with one another, it's probably saying that those women might need to have another person sit down with them and talk them, talk story with them about the Bible to remind them that they need to agree in the Lord with one another. And so maybe for you to cultivate harmony, you want to be committed to harmony in your relationship, but invite someone whom you both respect to maybe listen to you. And remember, the best thing to do, the the only thing you can do, the requirement is is what you say here stays here when you leave here. So there's a confidentiality. But invite them in. So Paul is saying, I am so much committed to harmony in the church. To have harmony in the church, you have to have harmony between people. To have harmony between people, you have to have both a commitment to the Lord. It's in the Lord. And if you can't really kind of see it because there's too many trees in the forest right now for you to see, bring someone else along who will help you do that because you're... Watch this now. Your core passion is not to expose sin but to restore a relationship. Did you hear what I just said? It's not to expose the sin as it is to restore a relationship. Now, a secondary application might be this, that maybe the reason, watch this now, these two ladies are not on the same page with one another, it could be that they're under a degree of stress where they're just taking on too much, and what they're saying is, will you help those ladies? They've got just so much on their plate, would you come alongside them? And so maybe some of the stress isn't just talk story. It may be just share one another's burdens. I don't know. But as a church, we want to be committed to being a church full of joy. And that's going to say that we can have the stress in our life. How we relieve it is to realize that there is joy in the Lord. And my point here is simply cultivate the harmony with each other. That is where this thing is going. And that's where the health will be. So focus on what you can agree on. All right. Insight for relieving stress number two. I will focus more on what I can agree on in the Lord than what I can't agree on. Most of the time, the arguments you're going to have are going to be, kids, here's a word for you, temporal. Temporal means earthy. They're going to be about stuff on the earth, physical stuff here in, in, in Honolulu, where you go to school, etc. But what God wants us to do, remember, the things that we can agree on are the things that are eternal, and they really are about God. So remember, those are more important. So if you do disagree, watch it. If you do disagree with this thing, don't take so much ownership of it. So let them be different than you. So they like it different. They want to do it different. D- don't, don't have to be so much in control or have it so much your way. That, that's the point right here. So focus on what you can agree on in the Lord. There's so much that we can agree on in the Lord. Keep the main thing the main thing. All right, number three. Maintain cheerfulness. Maintain cheerfulness. Now, in verse 4, it says here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I preach this passage. I've taught this book on a Bible college level many times. and, And sometimes on this whole aspect of joy and rejoicing, I want to make sure that we have it perfectly balanced. So I'm going to give you one side of it. One side of it, joy and rejoicing becomes a byproduct. We're going to call it a passive result of a byproduct, joy. That byproduct of joy that we have is coming from something else, which is I am going to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be love, what? Joy. So if I'm filled, I'll have joy. The byproduct of being filled or controlled or influenced by the Spirit is going to be joy. So that's a passive joy that I have. Now, while that is true... This passage doesn't say that I have to wait for me to rejoice. It doesn't say, do all this other stuff so you rejoice. It just simply says, almost like a command, you rejoice. So here's a phrase for you. It goes like this. It's a choice to rejoice. It's not always just a byproduct. I don't want to bypass the byproduct that if you're doing certain things, you will have the joy of the Lord. But there comes a time in our life that we have to say, you know what? I'm tired of all of this stress. I'm tired of always whining. You know, I want to be a person that's filled with the joy of the Lord, so I'm going to choose to rejoice. And so somewhere along the line, when Paul was in prison and he had all that stress on him, it didn't show. Now, yeah, he had the spirit filling that was helping him with that, but there was also that dynamic that he said, you know what, I don't care what kind of problems I have. I don't have to let the problems have me. And so, therefore, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Now, now, here's a question. Is rejoicing an emotion? And when I'm really rejoicing, is that an emotion? My answer to you is it, it, it's yes and no. For some of you, when you are happy, it's written all over your face. How many of you have kids that you know that there's this rejoicing? They're just excited. How many of you have a kid that it's very easy to see that rejoicing? They, they kind of wear that emotion of joy How many of you have the joy where it runs very, very deep within them that they're happy, but you really don't see the outside happiness, okay? seems like it's easier to see these kids than it is to see the others. So let me help you by giving you a simple, perhaps, definition. True rejoicing is a deep-down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and for his glory. Now, if you have an 8-year-old, they probably don't understand that concept. And it would be wise for you to begin to teach them that concept, moms and dads.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.